This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the Center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What are the strategic priorities of the U.S. Census Bureau? How is Census improving its data collection and data products? And what is the U.S. Census Bureau doing to innovate and make a difference? I'll explore these questions and so much more with my very special guest, Dr. Ron Jarman, Acting Director of the U.S. Census Bureau. Ron, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Great. Great to be here. Would you provide a brief overview of the history and mission of the U.S. Census Bureau? Well, you know, we've been doing a census in our country uh, since 1790, every 10 years. And that's sort of the genesis of the Census Bureau, if you will. Um, Over the course of time, Congress kept adding questions to the the core, uh, you know, population questions that are used to apportion seats in the House of Representatives. And they asked questions about, you know, demographics. They asked questions about um, the economy, um, manufacturing, and agriculture throughout, uh, you know, the 1800s until shortly after the turn of the 20th century, um, Congress saw fit to create a permanent uh, census bureau um, and then over the course of the 20th century, I think, is when the Census Bureau really kind of uh, found its niche um, within the within both the federal statistical system and, and the larger uh, government. Um, you know, it, it, during the Great Depression, um, the Census Bureau was sort of uh, a significant force in developing survey methodology that allowed us to measure the unemployment rate and to do a bunch of other uh, statistical activities that sort of supported the federal government as it coped with both the uh, the Great Depression and, and then the, the Second World War. Um, and after that, you know, a bunch of other government programs really were the key customers of Census Bureau products, if you will. And then, uh, you know, as you know, research interests amongst academics and and businesses and and computing power grew, um, you know, sort of the Census Bureau's customer bases expanded dramatically over the last few decades. So, Ron, would you tell us more about the scale of operation of the Bureau? How is it organized? What's the size of your budget? What's the core programs and operations? And how many employees do you have? So, you know, sort of baseline, um, year, year, year over year, um, Census Bureau is, you know, approximately, you know, 10,000 employees. And, uh, just a, a bit north of a, of a billion dollar budget, but we have this 
huge uh, cyclical component called the decennial census, where you know the last few years of every decade we we scale up considerably um, in, in order to count uh, everybody living living in the country. And so, you know, th- that adds some organizational complexity. But I, I think you know for for your listeners, it's sort of uh, easy to remember. There's um, you know there's the part of the Census Bureau that is, is responsible for planning and executing the decennial census, and then there's you know the statistical agency part of the Census Bureau that's responsible for a number of ongoing statistical activities, including the American Community Survey. Um, you know we we do uh, in partnership with the Bureau of Labor Statistics, we collect um, the monthly um, current population survey, which is where where the unemployment rate comes from. Um, but also most of the data that goes into computing uh, gross domestic product that that comes from uh, Census Bureau surveys and, and uh, data collection activities as well. And so there's sort of a rich um, collection of you know sort of survey-based activities, uh, other statistical activities that use administrative and, and other types of data um, to sort of try to paint a rich picture of the people and economy of our country. So, Ron, in your variety of roles, a couple of weeks ago, you were deputy director and chief operating officer. Now you are acting director of the U.S. Census Bureau. What are your duties and responsibilities and how do you support the overall mission of the U.S. Department of Commerce? So, you know, the, the, as deputy director and COO at Census, you know, I'm, I'm the senior career official in charge of sort of all of our operations. Um, and so I, I work closely with my colleagues at both within the Commerce Department, um, but especially across the federal statistical system to to support the you know the overall um, measurement you know, objectives of, of the federal statistical system. Um, you know, right right now one of the the curious duties of the deputy director is is uh, when. When the director is is not here, I act as the acting director. So, uh, you know, with the uh, re- resignation of Director Dillingham uh, just a short while ago, you know, I, I'm now doing uh, two jobs, which seems to be a light motif of of my career. So, Ron, regarding your duties and responsibilities, what are the top management challenges you face in your position, and how have you sought to address those challenges? Well, I think the top challenge for for the Census Bureau, and I think for federal statistical agencies generally, is how to um, modernize and, and stay relevant and serve our customers uh, as we uh, progress into the 21st century. I mean, one of the things that we see is that our our users have grown in number and in the complexity of their uh, data needs. Um, our users want uh, always more timely data, more granular data, and data on on sort of more complex phenomena. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I I started my career as a researcher at the Census Bureau and and did a you know a few interesting things. And uh, you know, one of the things I I wrote a paper a few years ago. Um, you know, we often produce statistics on like the total number of something or the the average of something. I, I wrote a paper on, you know, the uh, how skewed uh, employment growth rate distribution of uh, business units were, and so a very uh, you know odd statistic, but seemingly had quite an audience out there in the research community. So, 
you know, our, our users have grown um, both in, in diversity of, you know, we used to serve primarily the federal government, but now we serve, uh, you know, the business community, nonprofits, small local governments, and, and obviously the research community. And so finding a way for us to stay abreast of their needs, I think, is, is you know, first and foremost, our, our biggest challenge. Um, but then, you know, following, you know, sort of as a consequence of that challenge is, is you know, how do we maintain, you know, a uh, an expert workforce? How do we get recruit and, and train folks with the skills that we need to do this? How do we get the right IT infrastructure? Um, and how do we get resources to do all this? And so it all flows from you know, trying to serve you know, the data users out there that, that are constantly asking us for, for more and richer information. Along with the challenges you've encountered and outlined, Ron, what has surprised you most since taking over your current leadership role? What has surprised me most? I, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I think has surprised me, because, you know, when you, you know, as you progress up through a, an organization like the Census Bureau, and you have various roles that, that you played in various parts of it, um, you know, when, when you get to a place like the deputy director where you see everything, um, it's just how incredibly um diverse our measurement mission is and how uh, clever and resourceful our, our staff can be. And, and I think, um, you know, the pandemic is just is, is one of those examples where, you know, uh, we got thrown quite a curveball, like, you know, uh, lots of organizations around the country did with, with the pandemic, but we were able uh, not only to adjust to, uh, you know, working from home and those sorts of things, but just to, to remap our, our sort of ongoing operations, you know, like the 2020 census, but also to develop whole new surveys um, that addressed how the pandemic was impacting, you know, uh, households and, and small businesses in, in a way that just wasn't being met uh, elsewhere so that we were able to really contribute to the, um, you know, the information that, that the public and, and policymakers had to sort of look at how the pandemic was was impacting our country, and so you know the 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 skill and the passion and the tenacity uh, of our staff is, is just uh, amazing and, and a you know a, a great surprise. Well, maybe not a surprise, but a um, you know just just something that gets demonstrated new um, time and time again is that you know, something that really uh, energizes me and and makes me want to you know, uh, get up and get to work every day. So, Ron, you mentioned a little bit about your background, but I'd like to delve a little deeper. Could you describe your career path for our listeners? How did you begin your career and what brought you to your current leadership role? Well, you know, uh, I, I grew up in, I was born in Seattle, uh, Washington. And when I was uh, uh, just about to enter middle school, my parents decided to move uh, hundred miles east of there to Ellensburg, Washington to a farm, um, which, you know, I, I only farmed for, you know, uh, from, uh, you know, from middle school through, uh, first, I think my sophomore year of college. So but not a, a long period of time, but farming is one of those things that sort of marks you. <laughs> so, um, it, you, you know, it, 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 it was, uh, 
it was a lot of hard work and, and, you know, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't necessarily want to go back to farming, uh, although there are days where sitting on a tractor sounds like a, a great alternative to some of the challenges at the Census Bureau. But, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, folks with, with that background kind of have a, 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 you know, both a, a an interest in, in working hard and, and to find you know, sort of practical solutions to things. So, um, you know, I went, went to college uh, in my hometown, which is also a college town, and uh, thought that, you know, maybe grad school and economics seemed like a, a thing to do. So, so I did that. And when I was coming out on the job market, you know, it was uh, it was not a particularly good year in the economic um, PhD job market in 1992 because the economy was in not the best shape, and and I wanted to do research, and so you know the academic you know offerings for me just didn't didn't seem like what I wanted to do, so so I I, I took a job at the Census Bureau uh, as a as a researcher in the Center for Economic Studies working for a guy named Bob McGuckin, who was quite a quite a visionary in terms of, you know, the value of research inside the Census Bureau and, and, and promoting the use of some of our data assets uh, that had been, you know, kind of sitting uh, unused for, for a long time and um, amongst uh, academic researchers and stuff. And so it was, it was a lot of fun and, and, we had a great team back then and we did a lot of interesting stuff and, you know, sort of one thing led to another and somehow I uh, ended up being in charge of first the Center for Economic Studies and then the Research and Methodology um, Director of the, of the Census Bureau before taking a job as the Associate Director for Economic Programs, which I thought would be my my last job and, and really, you know, where I wanted to, you know, work on modernizing our economic measurement programs at the Census Bureau. Um, but then, uh, you know, when John Thompson retired a few years back, uh, when my other associate director colleagues took two steps back, I only took one step back and I ended up uh, <laughs> becoming the deputy director. So. What are the strategic priorities for the U.S. Census Bureau? I will ask its acting director, Dr. Ron Jarman, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report, Financial Management for the Future, at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report, Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Widner, breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org.
Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What are the strategic priorities of the U.S. Census Bureau? How is Census improving its data collection and data products? And what is the U.S. Census Bureau doing to innovate and make a difference? I'll explore these questions and so much more with my very special guest, Dr. Ron Jarman, Acting Director of the U.S. Census Bureau. Ron, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Great. Great to be here. Would you provide a brief overview of the history and mission of the U.S. Census Bureau? Well, you know, we've been doing a census in our country uh, since 1790, every 10 years. And that's sort of the genesis uh, of the Census Bureau, if you will. Um, over the course of time, Congress kept adding questions to the to the core, uh, you know, population questions that are used to apportion seats in the House of Representatives. And they asked questions about, you know, demographics. They asked questions about um, the economy, um, manufacturing, and agriculture throughout, uh, you know, the 1800s until shortly after the turn of the 20th century, um, Congress saw fit to create a permanent uh, Census Bureau. Um, and then over the course of the 20th century, I think is when the Census Bureau really kind of uh, found its niche um, within the within both the federal statistical system and the, and the larger uh, government. Um, you know, it, it, during the Great Depression, um, the Census Bureau was sort of uh, a significant force in developing survey methodology that allowed us to measure the unemployment rate and to do a bunch of other uh, statistical activities that sort of supported the federal government as they coped with both the uh, the Great Depression and, and then the, the Second World War. Um, and after that, you know, a bunch of other government programs really were the key customers of Census Bureau products, if you will. And then, uh, you know, as, you know, research interests amongst academics and, and businesses and, and computing power grew, um, you know, sort of Census Bureau's customer bases expanded dramatically over the last few decades. So, Ron, would you tell us more about the scale of operation of the Bureau? How is it organized? What's the size of your budget? What's the core programs and operations? And how many employees do you have? So, you know, sort of baseline, um, year, year, year over year, um, Census Bureau is, you know, approximately, you know, 10,000 employees and uh, just a, a bit north of a, of a billion dollar budget. But we have this huge uh, cyclical component called the decennial census where, you know, the last few years of every decade, we, we scale up considerably um, in, in order to count uh, everybody living living in the country. And so, you know, th that adds some organizational complexity, but I, I think, you know, for, for your listeners, it's sort of uh, easy to remember there's, um, you know, there's the part of the Census Bureau that is, is responsible for planning and executing the decennial census. And then there's, you know, the statistical agency part of the Census Bureau that's responsible for 
a number of ongoing statistical activities, including the American Community Survey. Um, you know, we, we do, uh, in partnership with the Bureau of Labor Statistics, we collect um, the monthly um, current population survey, which is where, where the unemployment rate comes from. Um, but also most of the data that goes into computing uh, gross domestic product, that, that comes from uh, Census Bureau surveys and, and uh, data collection activities as well. So there's sort of a rich um, collection of you know, sort of survey-based activities, uh, other statistical activities that use administrative and, and other types of data um, to sort of try to paint a rich picture of the people and economy of our country. So, Ron, in your variety of roles, a couple of weeks ago, you were deputy director and chief operating officer. Now you are acting director of the U.S. Census Bureau. What are your duties and responsibilities and how do you support the overall mission of the U.S. Department of Commerce? So, you know, the, the, as deputy director and COO at Census, you know, I'm, I'm the senior career official in charge of sort of all of our operations. Um, and so I, I work closely with my colleagues at both within the Commerce Department, um, but especially across the federal statistical system to, to support the, you know, the overall um, measurement you know, objectives of, of the federal statistical system. Um, you know, right, right now, one of the, the curious duties of the deputy director is, is uh, when, when the director is, is not here, I act as the acting director. So uh, you know, with the uh, re- resignation of Director Dillingham uh, just a short while ago, you know, I, I'm now doing uh, two jobs, which seems to be a light motif of, of my career. So, Ron, regarding your duties and responsibilities, what are the top management challenges you face in your position, and how have you sought to address those challenges? Well, I think the top challenge for, for the Census Bureau, and I think for federal statistical agencies generally is how to um, modernize and, and stay relevant and serve our customers uh, as we uh, progress into the 21st century. I mean, one of the things that we see is that our our users have grown in number and then the complexity of their uh, data needs. Um, our users want uh, always more timely data, more granular data, and data on on sort of more complex phenomena. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I, I started my career as a researcher at the Census Bureau and, and did a, you know, a few interesting things. And, uh, you know, one of the things I, I wrote a paper a few years ago, um, you know, we often produce statistics on like the total number of something or the, the average of something. I, I wrote a paper on, you know, the uh, how skewed uh, employment growth rate distribution of uh, business units were, and so a very uh, you know odd statistic, but seemingly had quite an audience out there in the research community. So, you know, our our users have grown um, both in in diversity of you know we used to serve primarily the federal government, but now we serve uh, you know the business community, nonprofits, small local governments, and, and obviously the research community, and so. Finding a way for us to stay abreast of their needs, I think, is, is you know, first and foremost, our, our biggest challenge. Um, but then, you know, following, you know, sort of as a consequence of that challenge is, is you know, how do we maintain, you know, a uh, an expert workforce? How do we get 
recruit and, and train folks with the skills that we need to do this? How do we get the right IT infrastructure? Um, and how do we get resources to do all this? And so it all flows from you know, trying to serve you know, the data users out there that, that are constantly asking us for, for more and richer information. Along with the challenges you've encountered and outlined, Ron, what has surprised you most since taking over your current leadership role? What has surprised me most? I, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I think has surprised me, because, you know, when you, you, you progress up through a, an organization like the Census Bureau, you have various roles that, that you played in various parts of it. Um, you know, when, when you get to a place like the deputy director where you see everything, um, it's just how incredibly um, diverse our measurement mission is and how uh, clever and resourceful our, our staff can be. And, and I think, um, you know, the pandemic is just is, is one of those examples where, you know, uh, we got thrown quite a curveball, like, you know, uh, lots of organizations around the country did with, with the pandemic, but we were able uh, not only to adjust to, you know, working from home and those sorts of things, but just to, to remap our, our sort of ongoing operations, you know, like the 2020 census, but also to develop whole new surveys um, that addressed how the pandemic was impacting, you know, uh, households and, and small businesses in, in a way that just wasn't being met uh, elsewhere so that we were able to really contribute to the, um, you know, the information that, that the public and, and policymakers had to sort of look at how the pandemic was was impacting our country. And so, you know, the the, the skill and the passion and the tenacity uh, of our staff is, is just uh, amazing and, and a, you know, a, a great surprise. Well, maybe not a surprise, but a, um, you know, just, just something that gets demonstrated new um, time and time again is that, you know, something that really, uh, energizes me and and makes me want to, you know, uh, get up and get to work every day. So, Ron, you mentioned a little bit about your background, but I'd like to delve a little deeper. Could you describe your career path for our listeners? How did you begin your career and what brought you to your current leadership role? Well, you know, uh, I, I grew up in, I was born in Seattle, uh, Washington. And when I was a uh, uh, just about to enter middle school, my parents decided to move a uh, hundred miles east of there to Ellensburg, Washington, to a farm. Um, which, you know, I, I only farmed for you know uh, from uh, you know from middle school through uh, first, I think my sophomore year of college. So, so not a, a long period of time. But farming is one of those things that sort of marks you. <laughs> so, um, it, you, you know, it it, it it was uh, it was a lot of hard work, and and you know I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't necessarily want to go back to farming. Uh, although there are days where sitting on tractors sounds like a a great alternative to some of the challenges at the Census Bureau. But you, you know I I think that um, you know folks with with that background kind of have a, a, a you know both a, a an interest in, in working hard and, and to find you know, sort of practical solutions to things. So, um, you know, I went, went to college uh, in my hometown, which is also a college town, and uh, thought that, you know, maybe 
grad school and economics seemed like a, a thing to do. So, so I did that. And when I was coming out on the job market, you know, it was uh, it was not a particularly good year in the economic uh, PhD job market in 1992 because the economy was in not the best shape. And and I wanted to do research, and so you know, the academic you know offerings for me just didn't didn't seem like what I wanted to do. So so I I, I took a job at the Census Bureau uh, as a as a researcher in the Center for Economic Studies working for a guy named Bob McGuckin, who was quite a quite a visionary in terms of, you know, the value of research inside the Census Bureau and, and, and promoting the use of some of our data assets uh, that had been, you know, kind of sitting uh, unused for, for a long time and um, amongst uh, academic researchers and stuff. And so it was, it was a lot of fun and, and, we had a great team back then and we did a lot of interesting stuff and, you know, sort of one thing led to another and somehow I uh, ended up being in charge of first the Center for Economic Studies and then the Research and Methodology um, Directorate of the, of the Census Bureau before taking a job as the Associate Director for Economic Programs, which I thought would be my my last job and, and really, you know, where I wanted to, you know, work on modernizing our economic measurement programs with the Census Bureau. Um, but then, uh, you know, when John Thompson retired a few years back, uh, when my other associate director colleagues took two steps back, I only took one step back and I ended up uh, <laughs> becoming the deputy director. So. What are the strategic priorities for the U.S. Census Bureau? I will ask its acting director, Dr. Ron Jarman, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security, in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Dr. Ron Jarman, Acting Director of the U.S. Census Bureau. So, Ron, I'd like to switch gears and talk about the American Community Survey, the ACS. Would you tell us more about the ACS and how the data derived from it is used? How has census changed the ACS to date and what remains to be done? Well, the ACS, um, remember, is what the long form of the decennial census used to be. But we, you know, we moved to having a, an annual survey, and it really is how 
you know, core information on on the nation's population is gathered on an annual basis that allows, you know, some fairly detailed geographic uh, analysis. Um, But it it is sort of the core set of demographic uh, variables. And, and, you know, one of the key things that, you know, moving forward that ACS gives us is is it really does provide this richer demographic information that, that we can link um, to other, you know, administrative sources. So I, I mentioned the, the labor force data that we get from state unemployment insurance organizations. You know, there we just get, um, you know, we, we know your social security number and your name. Um, and we know that you were employed by a certain employer during a certain quarter of the year. Right. And so, that's not a lot of information about you, but but when we can link that uh, information to the ACS or, or to the decennial census, we can get a much richer picture. So we can we can produce these labor force statistics with their, their rich race and ethnicity and, and household structure information that you get from from those other surveys. And so it, it really is, um, you know, the ACS is like one of the key building blocks of a lot of the other uh, information that we produce at the Census Bureau. So going forward, um, you know, thinking about how to, to solve uh, various measurement problems, um, you know, I think thinking hard about, you know, um, what still needs to be collected on the ACS versus what could be um, gleaned from administrative data. Um, you know, I think, I like to get, give my colleagues a hard time about about income measurement. You know, um, we we ask about income on on many surveys, and income is one of those sensitive topics that people don't like to answer on on surveys. But you know, all of the the key sources of of data on income in the U.S. do a pretty adequate job of of getting the middle of the income distribution. Um, and particular um, administrative data from the IRS does a, a, a really good job of that. Um, but where but where our surveys and and the administrative data from the IRS fall down on are the tails of the income distribution. So we know we have issues measuring income at, at both the low end and the high ends of the income distribution. And, and you know perhaps if we if we really sat down and thought hard about this. You know, you, you might not ask income questions on a on a generic household survey like the ACS. Um, you would use administrative data for the bulk of the population, and you would have specialized surveys for the for the the uh, the top of the income distribution and for the bottom of the income distribution because you know you would survey those two groups in a very different way to get. Uh, accurate information. So, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the things about um, thinking about our survey platforms is, you know, I think in the past we we really managed to the survey platform, and yeah, you know, I'd like to see us move the survey to managing to the the measurement objective, whether that's income or, um, you know, some demographic characteristic as you know, how, what's the best way to achieve that measurement objective with the information that's available out there, um, you know, in, in a cost-effective way that yields 
the, the best data for our users. Ron, information at federal statistical agencies can provide evidence for better management and evaluation of programs. Uh, the Bureau has extensive experience linking, as you pointed out earlier, statistical survey data with administrative data to create real powerful data sets. Would you elaborate on the advances and challenges to increasing evidence-based policymaking? Yeah, so first of all, there, there's sort of the generic issue of data access, which I think is not just an issue for evidence-based policymaking or an issue for statistical agencies, because obviously we would like to get access to, to more data than we have access to now. But I, I think it's probably a more generic societal thing about you know how, how do you convince a data steward to allow um, someone who might you know compute on their data access to it and and you know how do you um, you know make sure that there's you know trust at all stages of that of that process right both from the data steward to the to the producer of the statistic to the consumer of the statistic so I think you know there's going to be all sorts of uh, interesting work in the years to come in, in that space, and and for evidence-based policy making in in particular, it's you know, it it really is going to be about um, you know do you have access to the to the right uh, data sources to address a particular policy question, um, and, and can you do that in a you know, a reliable way uh, over time uh, in, in a way that, you know, a contentious political process might trust the results. Um, you know, I, I think that that's going to be, uh, there's a lot of hard work uh, <laughs> to get there. So. so, Ron, Census has a strong tradition of evaluating its work and using those results to inform planning of future work. I was wondering, how does census capture lessons learned from the 2020 decennial and apply them to the planning for the 2030 decennial? Is there any cross-directorate sharing of lessons learned, for example, decennial lessons exported to the economic census? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, there, there, there already is, and, and some of it uh, is in a formal sense that, you know, reports are written and you know, people review them and that, and some of it's in an informal sense and, and some of it is in, um, you know, uh, a bureaucratic sense. So we used internet uh, response option uh, on the 2020 census this year that, you know, ha had many of its core components, um, you know, developed outside of the, of the decennial um, part of the census bureau. And so, you know, I, I think that, you know, some, sometimes whether it's technologies like that or, um, you know, the fact that decennial draws in management from the other parts of the census bureau. So, you know, it, it kind of grows at the end of the decade. So, you know, many of the key people, um, key decision makers in, in, in the decennial directorate were, were people that came from, you know, the area, the economic directorate that does all of our business surveys. Um, so, so there's this sort of natural way that um, knowledge is shared, just but because you're you're either sharing technology or you're or you're sharing staff. Um, but yeah, like I said, there there are these other formal methods where where we're putting together 
documents and studies and, and, and what have you to try to uh, address the needs of the next uh, decade. I, I would say, though, you know, relative to like, you know, lessons learned, you know, in an annual survey um, where, where what happened this year is pretty applicable to what you're going to experience next year. You know, things do change quite a bit in our country every 10 years. And, and uh, you know, the, the 2020 census is a lot different in many ways from the 2010 census, you know, especially in terms of the, the multiple multiple modes that respondents were able to respond to the census with. Um, but, you know, the, the fact that we use technology um, out in the field when our enumerators would go out to uh, get answers from those households that didn't self-respond to the census, you know, they walked around using iPhones as opposed to, you know, uh, paper forms that they recorded answers on. 10 years ago. And, and that, you know, just completely changed how the, the day uh, in the life of a, a you know, census enumerator uh, went. I mean, in, in 2010, they would, you know, meet at a Starbucks or McDonald's every morning with their career leader and they would get their assignments and, and with paper maps and they'd go out and, and do that work. Well, you know, now they, they woke up in the morning and, and their census iPhone device had their their work assignment for the day with an optimized routing strategy. Uh, the time that they should try to contact each household uh, and then they recorded their mileage and their hours all on the on the device that also captured the responses from the enumerators. And so the you know the productivity of our enumerators were just much, much higher than it was in, in, in 2010. And so there really was, in many respects, a very different census. And and I expect, you know, we, we, we may have similar uh, changes in technology or, or, you know, design of the census in, in 2030 as well. So when you do something once every 10 years, you do learn lots of lessons, but there are still some things that are, that are so new that you didn't really have um, – you know, sort of a baseline uh, of that uh, from before. So it it, it is an interesting. Um, I would I would just say from a from a management perspective, it's an interesting thing to see what some activity looks like when you only do it once every ten years. So, Ron, looking ahead to the evolution of federal statistical agencies, can you describe how Census is using machine learning? to enable the Bureau to become a data science organization? Yeah, so I, I think there's some you know early examples. I, I think uh, we're just starting to scratch the surface of what we might be able to do there. But, um, you know, so one of the examples I, I, I just gave, so we use machine learning to help optimally route census enumerators while they're out collecting responses. Um, but we also use it for a number of classification exercises. Um, yes, we get data in and, and use machine learning algorithms to assign, you know, whether it's industry codes or, or, or something like that. Um, you know, one of the things that we're, we're really pleased about with, with the 20, uh, 20 census was um, the work that we did leading up to the census to make sure that we had a really accurate address list of all of the housing units in the country. And, and one of the things that we did there was we used 
what we called in-office enumeration, where we used satellite imagery and other you know geospatial information to sort of detect change. You know, you know, is you know, did a farm get transformed into housing development or something like that? Because of that, we were able to not send as many um, what we call address address canvassers out in the field before the census to verify. You know, all of the addresses, like, you know, we, in 2010, we verified 100% of the of the addresses in the country. Um, this time, we only did about a third. So one of the things is, you know, uh, when we did this, we had, you know, several hundred analysts, um, some here at headquarters in, in D.C., but also some uh, 100 in our Jeffersonville, Indiana National Processing Center. You know, sitting there looking at computer monitors using a, a tool to, you know, do this change detection. And and one of the things we hope to have developed here soon so that we can continue to do this kind of in real time across this decade is, is to use machine learning, um, you know, to, to sort of do some of that work for the analysts and, and have the analysts focusing on on the more peculiar cases and stuff like that. So. You know, I, I think there's all sorts of great examples of how we might continue to, you know, use these tools in our operational things, but but also, you know, um, we can use them in, in sort of, you know, research and analytical ways as well. So lots of exciting things going on there. And obviously we're doing a lot to, you know, scale up our, our workforce and uh, data science um, so that, you know, we got a, a bigger group of folks that can, you know, sort of drive this kind of innovation in the agency. Ron, how is Census adjusting its talent recruitment to plan and execute acquiring, processing, and disseminating the data of the future? Yeah, so I think Census actually has been one of the leaders in, in, amongst federal agencies and sort of um, both, you know, taking um, the bull by the horn, so to speak, on and training its staff. Um, so, you know, I was involved in an effort uh, several years ago where we worked with some academic institutions to stand up, uh, you know, a, a, a data science for um, statistical agency um, type folks. And, and it was real successful and has now been, uh, you know, adopted um, I think it's called the uh, Coleridge Initiative, or um, at the University of Maryland, and and you know you know we came up with a textbook and all that sort of stuff, but that has matured um, into a you know sort of formal program in an academic setting, but it, it's also uh, led to um, you know a number of activities that we still do inside the Census Bureau to upskill our staff in in data science techniques and, and what have you. Um, but also we, we've been part of a, an effort across the government to, to get the Office of Personnel Management to stand up a, a data science position within the government. So, you know, a, a, you know, so you would actually have a job series with a data science title. You know, right, right now they have some work towards that with, you know, certain job titles have a data science, what they call a parenthetical. Um, but I think, you know, we, we'd like to get, you know, alongside of economists or statistician, we'd like to have a formal designation 
for data science so, so that we can do a better job of, of competing with the private sector and, and recruiting you know, young folks with, with this uh, data science training as their background. Yeah, I, I think that's just, that's a real important thing for federal agencies like the Census Bureau to be able to do. So um, hopefully um, we'll keep making progress in that, in that area. And, and pretty soon there'll be a formal you know, data science job series that um, folks can apply to. What is the U.S. Census Bureau doing to address data quality and integrity? I'll ask its acting director, Dr. Ron Jarman, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report, Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery, by Yan-Yan Ang, presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics. Urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Dr. Ron Jarman, Acting Director of the U.S. Census Bureau. Ron, what strategies are helping federal agencies like Census improve data quality and build trust in their own data? And how are you addressing questions of data quality and integrity? So, you know, that, that's a constant, um, you know, struggle. And, you know, part of that is by being transparent. So, uh, you know, I think with the 2020 census, we've had, you know, a number of challenges, you know, both from the pandemic and from the hurricanes and wildfires and stuff that we, you know, encountered issues with out in the field last year. Um, but also the sort of contentious political environment that we're in today. And I, I think, you know, sometimes those, those things can lead folks to have a perception of, of quality that may or may not be actually reflected in reality, but, you know, it, it's, it's still something that needs to be addressed. And, and you address that through transparency and providing information about, you know, how you went about your business. And so, you know, I, I think that that's something that we're, we're going to continue to have to do. And I think as we um, start using other data sources, it, you know, in a more complex, you know, sort of computational way of coming up with new statistics, um, that transparency is going to be even more important because, you know, not only you need to say how you did it, but, you know, if you use really complicated statistical methods to blend several um, <laughs> data sets together to come up with an estimate, you know, that, that's something that, you know, most data users or, or, or the public are going to have a hard time following. And so, you know, that's going to be a, a challenge for us to be able to communicate clearly uh, to the layperson that the value stream or the statistic that we're asking them to consume um, was, you know, trustworthy and reliable and that that statistic um, is fit for the purpose. And that's going to, you know, that's just going to be something we're going to have to stay on top of and, and we'll be, 
you know, one, one of the key challenges of uh, statistical organizations going forward, I think. So, Ron, I switched from data quality and integrity to confidentiality and privacy. People need to understand that their confidentiality and privacy will be protected. Would you elaborate on the privacy and security efforts that you are pursuing at Census in this area? Well, that that is one of the other key challenges that I think statistical organizations are facing and will continue to face, and and that is, you know, it it is um, increasingly difficult to release statistical information from a you know, a confidential database, if you will, which, you know, most of the data that we use to construct our statistics are confidential by law, um, whether that's the decennial census or or using, you know, administrative data from the IRS or the Social Security Administration or uh, or from state unemployment insurance offices. Um, you know, all, all of those sources are, are confidential. And obviously, if we're trying to get data directly from, from businesses and stuff as well, that, that would be, I'm sure, um, meant to be held confidentially. And so because of computational techniques, because of the amount of information that's out there kind of in the wild, if you will, it, it is much easier um, to re-identify either households or persons or businesses uh, in, in the kinds of data products that, that we produce. And so finding ways to, to be able to produce accurate granular data that uh, meets users' needs but still protects the privacy of the underlying respondents or subjects in an administrative data set, is that, that's going to get harder. So with the 2020 census, we are deploying a new, more modern privacy protection uh, approach called differential privacy to try to maintain this balance between privacy and accuracy. Um, obviously, you know, there's some controversy about that. I, I think that, that comes from not so much the fact that we're using differential privacy, but, but from the fact that we really are, you know, taking the, you know, our statutory responsibility to protect the privacy of census respondents and making sure that the data that we release does not violate their confidentiality. And so, you know, a consequence of doing that is is the data will have less accuracy in, in some regards at certain levels of geography and what have you. And, and that's just a consequence of, of having to uh, adhere to confidentiality provisions. But, you know, we have other products that use the same methods. So I mentioned before the post-secondary employment uh, outcomes data. It employs these formal privacy um, methods as well. In fact, there's no way that we could produce data by campus, by degree field, by year um, without relying on on these types of um, modern disclosure avoidance techniques. So, you know, I think it's, you know, in some domains, these modern tools are a godsend and, and, you know, in some sense, some things couldn't exist without them. And in other domains where there's an existing data user base um, that that has, um, you know, grown accustomed to the data 
having certain characteristics, you know, I, I think it, it, it's hard to get them comfortable with changes and, and that sort of thing. So th- this is going to be your know, privacy protection. Um, again, it's going to be one of those key challenges for statistical organizations going forward. And just when we have to continue to work with um, all, all of the stakeholders out there, whether they be um, the users of the data who obviously would like uh, as accurate data as possible or privacy advocates who want to ensure that uh, the products that we produce don't um, you know, cause any harms to anybody. So huge challenge. So, Ron, as we close today, I have one last question for you. What advice would you give someone who's considering a career in public service? Well, I, you know, I think uh, there's many ways that one can engage in public service. And, and I think um, I think if you are to engage in public service, it should be in a way that you have some passion for. So, um, you know, if you like being in the woods, uh, you know, consider a job with the Forest Service. You know, first and foremost, you, you got to do what you like. Um, and I think there there's a way to serve the public in almost any sort of career uh, field that, that you might want to pursue. And so I, I think if, you know, you, you like to work with in the HR space, you know, uh, there's a lot of good that you could do uh, in that space uh, work, working for uh, a government agency. Um, if you want to be a statistician, you know, come work at a place like the Census Bureau. Um, so I, I think the key the key thing is to do what you find interesting. Um, and, and then once you do that, I, I think you can always find a rewarding career in the public sector uh, to do that. So. Ron, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. I really enjoyed our conversation. But more importantly, I'd like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Well, I appreciate that and glad to be doing it. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Dr. Ron Jarman, Acting Director of the U.S. Census Bureau. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app, and as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.